Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Thursday, November 12, 2020. I'm Shannon, and I am here tonight with Stacy, Brooke, and Natalia, and we are talking about actually an episode that Amber came up with many months ago. We are talking about books set in the places we've lived. Unfortunately, Amber is not here with us this evening, which I was hoping that she would be since this is her episode, but alas, she is not. So we have 12 fantastic books all set in places that one of us has lived. Um, before we get started, I have the usual housekeeping information. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. And then I'm going to start us off, followed by Stacy, Brooke, and then Natalia. So, in the summer of 2003, I left Michigan and moved to Texas, where I stayed for seven years. And my first book is set in Texas. Um, unfortunately, not in the part of Texas that I actually lived, but still in the state. So, this is Stray Shifters, book one, by Rachel Vincent. And this book was the first shifter book that I ever read that wasn't about werewolves. So cats are like the animal of my soul. And this is about werecats. So I was very, very happy to discover this series. Our main character is named Faith. And she is one of only eight female breeding werecats that still exist. And so because of this, her family is very overprotective. They want to kind of keep her like wrapped up and safe and away from anything that could be bad. But Faith is very independent and she wants to go out and experience the world. So she leaves home and goes to college. And she has people from her family that like periodically come onto campus and like watch her and make sure everything's okay. And one night when a stray werecat attacks, Faith is sort of bundled up and taken back home where she then becomes embroiled in all of the politics of the Werecat Pride. So the series is six books long and it follows Faith and her pride through a number of very twisty, um, kind of like pack politics kinds of things. Um, there's a really interesting romance. There are some very cool like interpersonal dynamics. And I just really enjoyed this series. Faith is a heroine that a lot of people 
struggle with because in the first book, I feel like she's she's very whiny. She's kind of entitled. She doesn't really understand like why her family places a great deal of importance on certain things. And so a lot of people struggle to deal with faith in the early books in the series. I feel like as she matures and kind of grows into herself and her overall like role in her family's pride, um, that changes quite a bit. But this was my first experience with Rachel Vincent, and I loved it a lot. So this is Stray, and it's Shifters Book One by Rachel Vincent. This sounds like a book that I definitely want to check out. I have not read any of Rachel Vincent's books. Well, that's sad. The first book I'm going to talk about was on my TBR for over a year. And I just wasn't in the mood to read it. But I I always knew that I would get to it eventually because it takes place um, in a small Ohio town on the, la- on the um, shores of Lake Erie. And um, in 2018, I moved with my husband to a small Ohio town on the shores of Lake Erie. And Lake Erie, um, I feel like in this book I'm going to talk about, is sort of a character in its own right. And... Um, you know, so I was very drawn to this book. So the first book I'm going to talk about is the McAvoy sisters book of secrets by Molly Fader. And if you don't think that's a mouthful to say, you have to really think as you're saying that title out loud. So again, it's the McAvoy sisters book of secrets. And this book is about Delia. Delia has stayed in her small town. Um, She has a teenage daughter. She runs the family's Um, sort of fish and bake shop. And, you know, she's married um, and she stays to kind of help take care of her mother as she ages. But this is not Delia's dream. And Delia is doing the best she can because she has a teenager and huge fat surprise, she has a newborn baby. And Delia hasn't spoken regularly with her sister, Lindy, who is called the wild McAvoy sister. She hasn't spoken with her in nearly 17 years. And their mother's health is what brings Lindy, the wild McAvoy sister back to town. Um, She is a sought after bartender in Cleveland. And I didn't know there was such thing as like a sought after bartender, but Um, She's been written up in magazines and she's very popular. And Lindy just had a kind of rough ending of a relationship. Um, She's, you know, she was with this guy and and things ended. And so she's standing out in front of uh, the apartment they rent and he's hurtling her stuff out the window, her underwear, her, her, you know, her, her purses, her shoes, just onto the sidewalk as one does on a Cleveland street. And in the midst of all this, her phone rings and it is um, a blast from the past. Um, A boy that she knew in high school is calling to let her know of her mother's illness and confusion. Well, this comes as a complete surprise to Lindy because she didn't know that her mother had had a stroke. And so she goes home to their small Ohio town where she hasn't been in 17 years to help care for her mother. And things are very strange. Delia and Lindy were very close. They were best friends. They shared everything. They loved each other deeply. 
And this rift that caused Lindy to leave has also really impaired their relationship. And so this book is about how these sisters learn to come back together again and sort of redefine their relationship as adults. It's about Delia's teenage daughter who is going through her own rough patch. Um, Having a baby sister when she is 16 was pretty challenging for her. Um, It's about Delia and Lindy's mother who is sort of dealing with the impact that her stroke is having on her health and her memory and her, her life. And all of these women um, have been sort of, they've gotten very good at just sort of ignoring nasty secrets or ignoring things about their lives. They don't want to talk about. And throughout the course of Lindy's time back in her hometown, secrets come out, discussions are had, and all of these women learn how to fully grow into themselves without hiding different aspects of their lives from each other and from themselves. And what I loved about this book, like I said, Lake Erie was a character to me, um, had a lot of personality. And also, um, you know, there were discussions of landmarks in Ohio, different places, um, an island that you can take a ferry to. um, That's like a big party island that I used to go to pre-pandemic. And, you know, it was pretty cool to read about some of these things. I do think there were some weird um, non-Ohio references to a college that doesn't exist here and things like that. But overall, I really like the depiction of small town Ohio um, on the shore of Lake Erie. So this, again, is the McAvoy Sisters Book of Secrets by Molly Fader. Excellent. I want to read this. Yes, it's really good. So the first book that I'm going to talk about is The Weight of Stones, Charlie McAvoy Mystery, number one by C.B. Forrest. And this book takes place in Toronto, Ontario. Ontario is where I live. And uh, Toronto is kind of like the place where I spend a lot of my time, especially the first several years of my life when I was in the hospital a lot. So this is kind of like an interesting book for me to read because it talks, you get the city feel. So Charlie McAvoy is our main character and he is at the start of the book he is a police officer for the Toronto police the Toronto Metro police and he is grieving because his son was murdered and he's having a really really tough time with it because he blames himself for kicking Gavin out Um, Gavin and him were having a very rough relationship and he is kind of the one that decided that Gavin must go and so he feels that if he had not um, made Gavin leave then he wouldn't have been murdered. Meanwhile his wife is really trying to grieve herself and she's trying to not get over it but she's trying to like kind of live her life right and with Charlie being so upset about it and so focused and obsessed with the case, um, she's, she's having a rough time. So we, we learn a bit about the, the case and stuff like that. And he's, he's trying to investigate it, even though it's from a different department. And he thinks that he knows who killed his, his son. He thinks that it's an ex-con that has been sent to Toronto 
to start up a like a new chapter of a motorcycle gang called the Blades. Um, we don't know for sure if this is the the culprit, but this is this is who Charlie thinks killed his son. Um, well, now Charlie has been dealing with some medical issues and being, uh, I guess, like a rough and tough man, he isn't dealing with his health issues well. And he ends up being forced into retirement because of these health issues. And while this happens, his wife decides that she's going to move out West and stay with family. Well, this gives Charlie more time to focus on his revenge strategies and his obsession with his um, son's case. But in the end, do we really know that that is the that the um the guy is really the bad guy so this book was really good because it really looked at kind of the stages of grief and the whole like how different decisions that we make can cause different impacts within our world and it also talks about like the impact that violent crime has on not only the person who experiences it, but also the people around him, or them, sorry. So this is The Weight of Stones, Charlie McElvoy Mystery, number one, by C.B. Forrest. I did not know this even existed. It was good. I So what I did was I Googled um, Ontario, like books set in Ontario. And oh, it, yes. gave me, it gave me a list, like I asked for mystery um, books that happen in Ontario. And um, it gave me like a list of like, I want to say it, like 50 to 100, I don't remember. But I went through different ones to see what I saw. And I found a, a couple of different new authors that I had never read before. I think it's really cool that you both talked about McAvoy's. It's true. Just I never, ones. I didn't think I would hear McAvoy more than once. <laughs> oh. That's super cool. So I was born in New Jersey. And one of my favorite authors, Harlan Coben, always writes books that take place in New Jersey. Um, Because I love Harlan Coben and I lived in New Jersey. I'm going to talk to you about my favorite. Well, one of my favorite Harlan Coben books. And this book is called Hold Tight. And it's narrated, I have to say this, by, the, by Scott Brick, who is adored by a lot of people I know that probably listen to this podcast. <laughs> and if you listen to the audiobook. And this book is about Mike and Tia Bay. And, you know, they're pretty, they have ki- two kids, a boy and a girl. And they're pretty, you know, cool parents. You know, they They're not overprotective. They're pretty balanced in their parenting. And they never thought that they would change that. It's worked for them. Their kids are good kids. Except uh, their oldest son, Adam, he's 16. Somebody in his classmates, some of his classmates have committed suicide. And Adam has become a little reclusive. He's not talking anymore. They're kind of afraid that he that his classmate's suicide is affecting him. And they don't know how to help him. So they decide to uh, put a sophisticated software on his computer so that they can spy him. Probably like a key logging kind of thing. Or phishing. Oh, I remember this now. Oh, it was amazing. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and then... 
And then while the father is looking at this um, spyware to see what his son's been up to, he sees a message that really freezes his blood. And then there's Betsy Hill. She is the mother of one of the kids who committed suicide. Her son is Spencer. And she is really obviously, you know, devastated by her son's loss and can't believe that it's possible that he committed suicide. I guess she thinks that maybe there's some kind of foul play or at least something that she doesn't know. And then she finds a picture of her son and somebody standing a little bit outside of the angle of the camera. For some reason, she suspects that it's Adam and she wants to go find out and talk to Adam's parents and find out why Adam was in this picture. So Adam can explain to her what uh, led to the last moments of her son's life. And then Adam goes missing. And it, it starts this whole, I guess, uh, series of events that just spiral and spiral and spiral out of control. And you've got, I think that out of all the puzzles that Harlan Coben does, this book is the best. I don't know if it's, be- no, no, this one, because I love just one look, but really, this is the best puzzle. Because when everything connects at the end, oh my gosh, I had like the biggest book hangover ever when I finished reading this book. So, and I know I sound so bubbly right now, but this book is amazing. (laughs) I cannot, I don't want to spoil it. So I'll just tell you that Adam goes missing and it starts a hunt because uh, the parents all team up because Betsy wants to know what happened to her son. And Tia and Mike Bay want to know what happened to their son, where he is, why he's missing, what he's hiding. And was this suicide? So this is Hold Tight by Harlan Coben. And yes, it does take place in New Jersey. They live in New Jersey, although there are some things that happen in New York, which if you live in New Jersey, you tend to frequent. So I hope you will try it. It's this book so was good. awesome. Oh my god, yes. I had <laughs> it, really it confused would. when you first said the title. I was thinking of another book, um, mm-hmm. Gone for Good. And then when you started to describe it, I was like, oh wait, this is that's the other one. And it was oh, I really liked it. Yeah, this is the book where you, you read, you're getting closer and closer and you just keep screaming and something like, happens you- and, you're like, ah! and then something else happens and then you just scream again. And then <laughs> I remember I was reading it in school and I had to like cover my mouth. <laughs> yes, no, no screaming. You'll give yourself away. In class. Yes. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. All right. So my next pick takes place in Michigan which is where I lived until I was 23 and where I live now, once again. Um, This is The Marsh King's Daughter by Karen Dion. It came out in, I want to say 2017, and it is very, very excellent. So our heroine is Helena, and she is the daughter of this very infamous survivalist known as the March King. And not only is he a survivalist, but he is also just a terrible person in all kinds of ways. So Helena herself is the product of an abduction. Two years before her birth, the Marsh King kidnapped a teenage girl and kept her in a remote cabin 
in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. And the Upper Peninsula is very, very remote, even if you're not in the marshes. So if you are, um, I'm guessing it'd be pretty hard to come across anyone if they were trying to hide. So Helena has grown up with her parents in this cabin and she never really knew that anything was wrong with the way she grew up until she becomes older and actually begins to like understand the very, very twisted dynamics of her parents' relationship. Um, eventually, her mother escapes, taking Helena with her, and they are able to get her father um, into contact with the police. And eventually he is taken to prison, which is not a spoiler. It's a thing you know kind of in the beginning of the book. So 20 years later, Helena has done pretty much everything she can to bury her past. Her husband does not know who her parents were. And she has tried so hard to distance herself from everything about her former life. But then her father kills two guards and breaks out of prison. And he is now running wild again in the Michigan marshes. And the police are trying to find him, but Helena knows that they can't. Like no one knows the marshes as well as her father, except her, because she was raised there. And he taught her all of the survivalist skills that he knew. So she packs up and heads off into the marsh to find her father and basically bring kind of his reign of terror to an end once and for all. So this is a thriller of sorts, but it's also a really wonderful look at a woman trying to put her past behind her so that her future is not always influenced by, by what happened. And it's about feeling confident in who you are and the things that you know, and the fact that your parents' bad behavior does not necessarily need to reflect on you or the person that you are. So this is The Marsh King's Daughter. It is the debut novel by Karen Dion, and I highly recommend it. I want to read this book. Yes, you should. I think you would like it. I almost talked about it when we did uh, Books Set in the Wilderness. Okay. But then I, I picked something else instead. So I really struggled with <clears throat> what to do um, because I lived in two states. Um, I have lived the majority of my life in Ohio, but I also lived for five beautifully glorious years in the San Francisco Bay Area. And that area of California will forever, forever hold a piece of my heart. And in my mind, it's like my other home. And so I originally was going to talk about Ohio for two books and San Francisco for one book. But um, in my searches, I couldn't find anything that really met my criteria about San Francisco. Um, because I then found a book about a woman who moves from Cleveland to San Francisco and then back home to Cleveland. And that this is book awesome. really, I know. And this book really resonated with me um, on a number of levels. So I'm going to talk tonight about making the first move. And that's Bad Boys Gone Good. Wait, <laughs> did I say that right? I think so. I think so. By Reese Ryan. And our heroine in this book is Melanie. And she grew up in Cleveland with her close knit family 
her larger-than-life, wonderful father, her mother, and younger sister. And Melanie has done everything she can to be the son that she believes her father always wanted. And so despite having her own dreams as a young adult, she put those aside and went into business and did everything that she could to emulate what her father, kind of his legacy. And then as she's sort of kind of moving up in Cleveland and kind of, you know, getting a name for herself, the man that she thought was the man of her dreams that she loved for years tells her that their relationship is over because he's just not feeling it with her. And then very soon after that, he's marrying another woman and they're having a child. And Melanie is just shattered by this. Her father has recently died and now this is happening. And she just feels very, just cast adrift from everything that used to make Cleveland feel like home. And so when she is offered a job opportunity in San Francisco, she jumps all over that and she goes off and lives for five years in the city by the bay. And, you know, as she's uh, kind of there, she's gaining um, the respect of people in her company. And she's also sort of becoming friends with this sort of mysterious philanthropist named Rain. And, you know, there's always sort of this like underlying like, hmm, we'd probably be good together, sort of, you know, below the surface. But they've just been nothing but friends for a year. They're like each other's plus ones for weddings or they they go to, you know, work events together where a date is sort of needed. But then Melanie is called into her boss's office and offered the position of regional manager at a new branch of the office that is going to be established back in Cleveland. And Melanie's like, oh God, what do I do? Like, you know, I love San Francisco. If I go home, it means facing all of the things that I've run away from. And my mother's going to spend all of her time matchmaking because I'm like in my thirties and God forbid I'm not married with five babies. But ultimately she decides that she's going to accept this position because how could she not? She wants to move up. It's a salary increase. And so she decides she's going to take this job. Well, on the night that she decides this, Rain, the sexy, mysterious philanthropist, finally decides he's going to tell her about his feelings for her. And she's like, what the hell? We have three weeks now. So they begin this, you know, very sexy relationship that has an expiration date because she is going to fly to Cleveland to start this new life. And what happens then is that she comes home to Cleveland and she begins reestablishing ties with her family, you know, kind of moves uh, back into her old neighborhood and kind of starts remembering why she loves Cleveland so much. She kind of gets close again to her sister. She, both her sisters, um, her mother has been hiding something from her that now she has to sort of deal with. And then there's Rain, who, you know, keeps reaching out to her from San Francisco, not wanting this relationship to end. But to complicate matters further, Jackson, the man from her past, is back and acting like he's interested in pursuing something with her five years later. 
And throughout all of this, she's trying to establish an office and she's trying to, you know, figure out many things about her life. And the backdrop of this is Cleveland, which the author made into a character in its own right. And she really painted a beautifully vivid picture of what those of us who live around Cleveland know are some of its like fine points and some of the history and some of the beautiful things about Cleveland. And it just, um, it just felt like such a wonderful book because it's about a woman who has to kind of leave home to discover herself as I did, but ultimately has to return home in order to kind of develop some more character growth and to find the love that's been eluding her. And I have to say also that Reese Ryan is a very underappreciated author. Um, This book came out in 2013. I read it in 2013 and read it again for this episode and loved it equally as much the second read through. And I don't know why this author does not have more of a following. Um, So I encourage you all to check out, you know, um, Making the First Move by Reese Ryan, but also check out other titles by her as well, because she's just a really really wonderful writer. Awesome. So the next book that I'm going to talk about is Through Black Spruce, Bird Family Trilogy, book two by Joseph Boyden. Book two? Yeah, (laughs) even though this book is book two, it's actually not, so they're all um, standalones. But they're all, they all have like a family member from the bird family. So you can read it. Natalia can allow this. (laughs) Well, you don't really see any of the characters as far as I remember. Like, you don't see any of the characters in any of the other books. They're all just in the You're breaking my soul. You're you're telling them to read out of order. It actually tells you this. It actually tells you this on book, on Goodreads, that it is that they're full of novels. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> you said is it like goosebumps like rl yeah. yeah yeah like you oh. could read them all like standalones you know even though it's true it's true it's true yes you can it's that's true but you know i still read the babysitter's club in order even though they are standalones <laughs> <laughs> that's okay, well, then them. for you the first book that you'll want to read is three day road so that's the first one so this one is um as I said, through Black Spruce. And this book takes place in Moose Factory, Ontario. So that's in the very northern part of Ontario. I lived probably about five hours south of there. So that's about as far north as I got. And that is, I lived about seven hours from here. So Moose Factory is probably about 12 or more hours from here. It might be more, but I don't know exactly. I'd have to look it up. So Moose Factory, Ontario is a um, First Nations, like kind of remote um, community. And our main characters are Will and Annie Bird. So Will is a legendary Cree pilot bush pilot sorry and he is in a coma in the hospital in moose factory and annie is his niece so the way that this book goes is we kind of go from 
his viewpoint um, to her viewpoint and he's in a coma. So we're kind of getting this just from his viewpoint, but I don't know if he's thinking about it or if it's just kind of giving his viewpoint. So we're learning about um, what, like how he lost his um, wife and two sons. Um, It was related to like a family, like, what is it? Um, kind of like a war between two families um like if they caused the uh, feud that's the word i want sorry i couldn't think of the word so it's it was a family feud that turned into him losing his um wife and his two sons and then he also kind of talks about his time in the on a remote island and why he went there and he also talks about um his three crashes his three plane crashes and why Um, why they happened, but also um, why the final one kind of led him to stop wanting to fly anymore. And then in Annie's situation, she's kind of trying to find herself. And she's also, she's she's sitting at her um, uncle's bedside and he's telling, like, she's telling him his, her story because she had gone for a couple of years to down South and she spent some time in Toronto and she spent some time in Montreal and she spent some time in New York city. And she's telling him about her journey and about how she was looking for her lost sister, Suzanne, um, who was a model. And she was kind of following where, where kind of like Suzanne had been. It's a story of finding your identity and a story of family, but it's also a story of loss. So I really liked his image. I love Boyden's imagery and his way of writing. Um, He is really good about telling things. It's like in the speech that's used in that part of Ontario. And it's really neat. Um, he really makes you feel like you've, cause I've been on native reserves a lot because my family's from um, a couple, from two different reserves, but also some of the other reserves are even more different because we're Ojibwe where these people, these, this family are Cree. So they're a little different from us. And it was just really neat to see like how, for example, they would take the school kids out for a school field trip to the dump to see bears. And like that actually really does happen. Like one There's day, bears in the dump. Yep, the bears hang out at the dump when you live up north. So I will tell you, one day, hype Ooh. and I actually went for a drive to see if we could see the bears at the dump, but we did not see any. Sadly, um, it's just kind of it's very much a different life when you live up north. So I'd be afraid this is... to go to the dump if there were bears there. <laughs> well, we didn't get out of the vehicle. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> But in one situation, Will is actually running. So he was trying to get fit and stuff like that. So he decided he was going to go running. So he goes running and he meets up with a bear. And the bear is like an old bear. And she's blind and she's like not doing too well. Like he knows that she's not going to survive probably another, like survive through winter. So he ends up going out with his friend to, um, shoot the bear because it'd just be better for it so that it doesn't tor- um, torment Suffer. other people but also so that it's not suffering cool. but 
he he tells his friend that he shot the bear, but he really didn't. And he ends up like befriending the bear. Like he he leaves out food for her so that she would have a better winter because he says that if he was her and this was going to be her his last winter, then he would want somebody to care for him. So I just thought it was really interesting because it's very much something that could happen. So this is Through Black Spruce, Bird Family Trilogy, book two, by Joseph Boyden. So I worry about raccoons, like by our dumpster. I think probably I shouldn't, um, if by some dumpsters there are bears. So I was born in New Jersey, and I moved to Miami and was raised in Miami um, from about age five. And one of my favorite series that takes place in Miami, there is a, a few, not many. I know, right? People love Miami, but nobody writes about it. What is this? Or am I just like missing something? <laughs> but this is a book written or series written by a former attorney. And I believe she was a former Miami attorney uh, attorney in Miami-Dade where I actually lived. And I think she still lives here. This is Barbara Parker. And these are her books. The series is called Gail Connor Anthony Quintana, book one. And the first book is called Suspicion of Innocence by, I was going to say Gail Connor, sorry, no. by Barbara <laughs> Parker. And these books are set, as I said, here in Miami, exactly where I live. So a lot of the places that they talk about and the things that they do and the coladas and the food trucks. And that is all that I have known most of my life. So these books are about Gail Connor. And Gail is an attorney. She's, I believe, a criminal defense attorney. And she's working for a firm. And of course, as many attorneys and a lot of these attorneys books are, she wants to make partner, um, but she hasn't gotten there yet. She's making um, some good money, but she's not necessarily where she wants to be. She's also fresh out of her divorce with her ex-husband. And so, and they have a daughter together. I believe she's seven. Her name is Karen. And they're trying to you know, figure out how to navigate this new life with the divorce and a seven-year-old and sharing custody. And she's, you know, living by herself after being married for a pretty long time. I think it was, might've been maybe eight, 10 years, something like that. And then something happens. Her sister is found murdered. And I know, I, I don't know why this is a theme of the books I'm talking about today, but Murder. it looks like a, like a suicide. It looks like a suicide. But when Gail is, you know, of course, her mother is distraught, her family is distraught, and it all falls on Gail to, to, to fix everything and make, you know, all the arrangements that usually happens when someone dies. So someone's always in charge. And in this case, it is Gail. And while sifting through her sister's past, she has more questions than she does answers. And she doesn't quite believe, I guess, what they're trying to sell her about the way her sister died. And so she goes through her past and tries to go through her document and tries to talk to people that might have 
been in contact with her sister. And in comes Anthony Quintana. And he seems to have been one of her sister's, I guess, exes or um, flings. or they, they had some kind of relationship, but she's not sure if it's platonic or if it wasn't platonic or what kind of relationship it was. And Anthony Quintana is Cuban. And his family, he's either first-generation American or he was born in Cuba and his family brought him and he was very, very small. So he has a wonderful, wonderful accent when he speaks English, <laughs> which I love. And I love, if you like audio, the narrator uh, does a wonderful impression of it. It's, it's great, great. And so she doesn't know what kind of relationship Anthony Quintana had with her sister. And not only that, um, he's not telling and on top of that, she's attracted to him. <laughs> so we've got all these complications. Um, you know, of course, she doesn't want a, a relationship because she just got divorced and she's liking her life as a single person. And on top of that, her sister is killed. Her mother can't deal with the grief. Um, she has questions. And it's all this stuff. And it takes place in sunny wonderful beautiful miami amidst you know cafecitos and awesome awesome food and just i don't know i just felt like i was reading a book that that took place uh where i grew up so i I thought it was really really great uh you could tell that the author lives here and has lived here which you know a lot i feel that a lot of people when they write about miami they write about what they think miami should be or what they think it is uh, and you just can tell the difference between the people who have lived here and the people who have a dream of what here is. So this is Suspicion of Innocence by Barbara Parker. And I will say, uh, you will never guess. The, the Her mysteries are so, so well done that um, they're very unique because it's, it's interesting to have a mystery written by a lawyer. And you can tell because it has a lot of it's. I would say it was more like a legal thriller, wouldn't you, Shannon? Yeah, I would think so. Like kind a, of. like it like has a, a lot. Not so much this one, but like a lot of them have a lot of really cool like courtroom scenes. I love it. Yeah, I, not, I really enjoy those. One. Yeah, this one is more world buildy, straightforward mystery. But I like her courtroom scenes and I like her twists. I don't think yes. I ever guessed anything in any of her books in all of that series. I wish she would write some more. Who wants to live in a library? Because I do. That'd be fun. Yes, it would. So what if you could live... In Hogwarts? Sure. That'd be even more fun. You could live in a library there, I suppose. But that's not really what I had in mind. Or the Great Library? Because it it travels? No, that would be good. That would be fun. No, this is the New York Public Library. That's even better. Yes, it is. Because it's a real library. So if you want to read about New York City, Fiona Davis does this like no one else. Her writing revolves around historic buildings in New York City, and I love it. I lived for almost three years on Long Island, which is just about an hour outside New York City. And I would go into New York every evening because for a while I was an opera singer on the stage. So New York City is amazing. And Fiona Davis does such a great job creating stories around these landmark buildings. So this is the story of the New York Public Library. It's called the Lions of Fifth Avenue. And 
as most Fiona Davis novels are, this is a dual timeline novel set in 1913 and 1993. In 1913, we meet Laura, and Laura lives with her husband and two children in an apartment deep within the New York Public Library. Her husband is the superintendent of the library, and so part of that job, like one of the perks, is that you actually get to live in this apartment, which apparently does exist. Um, when I got to talk to the author about this book, she talked about all the research that she did and all of the uh, floor plans of the library that she saw, and she could see where this apartment used to be. It's not there now, unfortunately. So Laura lives here, and she is a devoted wife and mother, but she also wants more. She wants something else. She wants something where she feels like she can really leave her mark on the world. And so in 1913, she enrolls in the Columbia School of Journalism, and she's one of the first women to do this. And as she becomes more and more caught up in journalism and she gets to see people who live differently from the kind of ultra-privileged life that she herself has always known, she really begins to reevaluate her priorities. And then valuable books begin to go missing from the library. And this puts everything that Laura loves in jeopardy because her husband is somehow thought to be responsible for these thefts. And so this is very, very bad. We also skip 80 years ahead to 1993, and we meet Sadie Donovan. And Sadie is working in the New York Public Library. She is the curator of this very prestigious collection. And she's trying to put together this exhibit that will kind of feature some of the more famous um, books and papers from the library's early days. And as she does this, she begins to learn about the thefts that occurred in 1913 and how these thefts may have been related to some of her ancestors. So she starts kind of poking around and trying to figure out what really happened all those years ago. And in so doing, manages to uncover a bunch of secrets that relate to her family in ways that she does not expect. This is a phenomenal book, pretty much as all of Davis's work is. Um, it is filled with so much love for New York and the historic buildings that live there. And I was just really, really entranced from start to finish. It's definitely a book to read if you love books, which I assume you do if you're listening to this podcast, unless you just like really like to hear us talk. I don't know. Um, but this is The Lions of Fifth Avenue by Fiona Davis. And I really, really love her a lot. I've read I remember a when this... Oh, sorry, Brooke. No worries. You go. I was just going to say, I remember when this came out and you were talking to me about Yes. interviewing the author and just what a great read this was. And it's been on my TBR ever since, but I've never read anything by this author. You would love the dollhouse by her. It's like that 1950s, like underground New York feel. Um, I, I love it a lot. I liked the one. Wasn't there one by that goes in central station? Yes. The masterpiece about the art school yeah. in uh, Grand Central. Yeah. Grand Central. I yeah. really liked that one. Yes, that one was very good. Yeah. And uh, the Dakota one. TBR. 
Oh, yes. Dakota was good. Yes. The address? The address. Yes. The address. Yes. This is all my TBR. You should read it. It is lovely. I had so much trouble coming, like deciding which books to talk about for this episode because, you know, believe it or not, there are a ton of books about Ohio. And I thought about talking about um, some romantic suspense by Mia Sheridan that takes place in Cincinnati. I thought about talking about um, the, um, oh my gosh, why am I having a moment with her name? Uh, Cincinnati series, Karen Rose Cincinnati series. Yes, my favorite. I really, deeply wanted to talk about the Kate Mary Farr series. Um, I talked about the first one when we did road trips a few months ago, um, but the second one takes place in central Ohio in the Dayton area. And you can tell that the author either lived there or did copious amounts of research because, you know, she described everything very well in the midst of an apocalypse, but I ultimately Kate decided rocks oh, my world. mine too. And after all that, though, I thought if I talk about the second book in a series, Natalia is going to like be all over that <laughs> shit and she's not going to let me do it. And no. so I decided I would talk about another book that I read um, years ago that I reread for this episode that is just so gorgeous. And that is Whiskey Island by Emily Richards. Yay. Is that and bad? I would let what? you talk about a second book. I'm afraid of you. <laughs> like I think you want together talking right. about second book. I mean, Ooh. you and your rule following about series. I knew you would have given me shit. So um, what well, you would have talked about? What Alone in the Dark? But Karen Rose is different. No, like, no, 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 no. Kate Elmeri, the far, far from, from safe, far from safe. It's a second book. Oh no, no, no! no. You series. can't talk about a second post-apocalypse. <laughs> but I talked no, about the first one's on road trips. I took. Yeah, no, right. You can't do it. But the second one's all in Ohio. <laughs> That's why I didn't. <laughs> I knew you'd kick my ass from Miami. Like, I knew. So (laughs) She likes getting her ass kicked by me, guys. (laughs) I do. But instead, instead, (laughs) I am talking about a book that came out actually like 20 years ago, believe it or not. It's Whiskey Island by Emily Richards. Yes. And this book takes place in Cleveland, actually just outside of Cleveland in Ohio City. And this book is just, it's it's a really wonderful book. it, there's some dual timeline to it. Um, but again, what the author has done has, she's created this bar called Whiskey Island. Um, it's like a, a tavern, a saloon, a bar, whatever you want to call it. And she's made it into a character. It's almost like a, like a living entity in this book. And this book is about Megan Donahue and her sisters, Casey and Peggy. And Megan has been running the Whiskey Island saloon for the last many years since um, her father just up and like walked out on them when she was a teenager. And Megan did her best to keep her sisters together with her. She did her best to keep the the business in the family. It was established by her great, great grandmother and they still use her great, great grandmother's recipes to this day. And, you know, despite all this, her refusing to let go of the family heritage caused a rift between her and and her sister, Casey. And Casey has not come home to the Whiskey Island Saloon in 10 years. So the book opens with the attempted theft of a car in the parking lot of the Whiskey Island Saloon. And in this car are both of Megan's sisters, Casey, who's coming home for the first time in 10 years, bringing with her a child that is not her own. And Peggy, who for whatever reason 
is not returning to Ohio University for her current semester. And witnessing this attempted car theft, complete with guns and scary people, is Nick. And this is Nick's first experience with the Whiskey Island Saloon. But he sort of jumps into the fray and helps to save the sisters from, um, you know, from, from what's going on. And this is how he meets Megan and her sisters, is through this experience. Now, Nick has uh, really been wrestling with something in his past. Um, he's made a complete 180 in his life recently. And he's struggling to kind of put the pieces of who he is and who he was together. So meeting Megan is a great diversion for him. Um, he's trying to help solve a mystery with Megan. Um, and Casey, you know, who's just come home after 10 years away, is sort of getting closer to a high school best friend who may now be more than a friend. And Peggy is keeping secrets from both of her sisters. Now, through all this, we have a, a generations-old family mystery that needs to be solved, and we have a beloved family member who may be sort of hiding out around the Whiskey Island Saloon, trying in his way to remain connected to a family that he loves, but yet cannot be with. And then we have the Whiskey Island Saloon and surrounding area, and like I said, she, Emily Richards has turned this into a character in the book, has turned the area, the neighborhood, um, and the surrounding land into part of her story. Because back in 1880, years before the Whiskey Island Saloon, a young woman comes to Ohio from Ireland to marry her love. And what happens in her life generations before will shape the lives and destinies of Megan and her two sisters in the year 2000. And this book is gorgeous, and I'm not going to say anything else about it because I don't want to spoil anything. If you like dual timeline, if you like books about complex families with relationships, uh, especially between sisters and fathers and daughters, um, if you like books that really explore what it means to turn your back on something that you love, but that you can no longer continue to do. It's just a really, really wonderful book. And I cannot say enough good things about Whiskey Island by Emily Richards. I love Emily Richards. Oh, I know. She's just, her characters are always complex and they always feel like someone you'd want to sit down and have like a meal with a cup of coffee, a glass of wine. Like you want them to be your friends. Like she really makes her characters feel real and three-dimensional yes. and flawed. She's so great. I like her uh, Shenandoah Valley. Oh, I do too. Series too. So the last book that I'm going to talk about is Accept the Dying. Murdoch. Myth, uh, Detective Murdoch. Book one by Maureen Jennings. And this book takes place in 1895 Toronto. And um, just another note about the books. Um, this series has um, a Canadian like show. So there's like, I don't know how many seasons of it there are, but it's called the Murdoch Mysteries. And Ooh. he's kind of like a modern, not a modern because he's like, 
in 1890 something but kind of like Sherlock Holmes but at least the book in the book form he's not as annoying because I find Sherlock Holmes <laughs> kind of annoying so he's like not Sherlock as annoying Holmes. I know but he's kind of like I don't know some of the things that they say is just kind of annoying so in this book it opens with the discovery of a um, servant woman who is un- un- um, has no clothes on and she's dead and she's found, it, found in behind some housing. Um, and Murdoch needs to discover, like, he wants to, he needs to figure out, like, what happened. And why does she have no clothes on? Um, like, and all the, like, everything to do with the case. So, as he's investigating, we meet a bunch of different characters. We meet um, two women who are prostitutes. And they live together, and we meet their housemate, um, who is an interesting gentleman. Um, we meet some like upper, like families of the upper crust of the community. Um, we meet some bar people, and as you're meeting them, you get to you figure out that they have their own kind of secrets that go along with the whole thing and in some cases the secrets do relate um to the case so in one situation we find out that the prostitutes are actually um they are part of they're related to why the woman is found naked um they found her dead and they didn't want to be blamed but they also didn't want to leave behind everything that she was wearing because back then you kind of whatever you found it was kind of you wanted to keep because you wanted nicer stuff right so he's doing all this investigating and um we're we're meeting all the characters but as you're going along like he doesn't do a lot of like you don't get any real scientific stuff it's more just Answer, um, asking a lot of questions, doing a lot of interviews, and you don't really know who, like, who the bad guy is until the end. Like, you really, I didn't, I really didn't figure it out until the end. I was kind of surprised. Um, I really liked how she, she must have done her research because she really describes that time of history well like in Toronto as well using the slang like he uses the slang that they used to use back then um one thing that I've learned from the reviews is that the um, his character is very different from the show because in the show he's this very like gentle man who is very politically correct where in the books he's very like a blunt um, and very like he uses some pretty um, I guess sexual indire- innuendos and stuff like that so I thought it was kind of funny but some people didn't really like it but um, I really enjoyed the books and I'm definitely look at thinking about checking out the other ones so this is Accept the Dying Detective Murdoch book one by Maureen Jennings, and that takes place in Toronto. Excellent. You guys are going to laugh so hard. Why? <laughs> because Stacy said that I'd give her shit. 
Oh we're my talking, gosh, but you're second not book. talking about the first one. Nope. I'm talking about the second book in a series. <laughs> Shut up. You are not. How can yes, you do I that? Is. You am. are talking about the second book in a series. You give me shit anytime I want to read out of order. Yeah, she no, gave me shit. She gave me shit. But here's the thing. I, I, didn't, I didn't read this out of order. She's just talking about but it. But I'm talking about it out of order because this is my favorite <laughs> book of the series. Because and, and let me tell you, I didn't change my mind or anything to bother you. Like this was. Oh my god, that's hilarious! That is so <laughs> funny. I'm going to talk about the second Tessa Leone because I lived five wonderful wintry and cold years in Boston, Massachusetts, and therefore I love books that take place in Boston. And this book is called Touch and Go. Tessa Leone book two by Lisa Gardner. If you read Lisa Gardner, you know that all her books do have connecting characters, but there's always some kind of mystery. Um, so this book is Touch and Go. And this book is about a perfect family. Uh, a mom, a dad, a 15-year-old daughter. They vanish without a trace. Justin and Libby Den, you know, they live in a beautiful brownstone in Massachusetts. You know how much those go for? Not anything I can afford, sad face. But they're gorgeous. So anyway, they disappear without a trace. And all they leave behind is confetti and like the most preliminary, preliminary personal possessions. And Tessa Leone, she's a cop. Or she's an investigator, I guess is her title. And she arrives at the crime scene and all she finds are scuff marks. There's never a ransom note. There's never any demand. Nothing. These people just, they're gone. But it seems like they were kidnapped, but there's nothing else. That's it. It just goes completely cold. So if you like dual points of view, this book is told by the point of view from the point of view of the wife of the family and of you know Tessa and uh, Tessa knows better than anybody that even the most perfect facades can hide the worst things and she must race against the clock to uncover what happened to the Den family uh, what were their innermost demons secrets uh, and there are like huge huge threads a lot of a lot of mystery, a lot of tangled friendship, a lot of angst. But I just, I cannot tell you how amazing this book was. Well, I mean, my review said that I thought it was fan-fucking-tastic. <laughs> and for me to write that on Goodreads like that, <laughs> it, it was really, really that good. Uh, because love, safety, family, well, it's all touch and go by Lisa Gardner. Read it. Yes. All right. Yeah. That brings us to the end of this episode featuring books set in places we've lived. Thank you to Amber for the fantastic episode idea, to Stacy, Brooke, and Natalia for talking about such great books with me tonight. Thank you so much to Christine for all of your fantastic editing. And we appreciate each and every one of our listeners so incredibly much. If 
if you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Thank you.